This is the Social Pros Podcast, the weekly show for real people doing real work in social media. With your host, Jay Bear of Convince and Convert, and featuring Jeff Roars, Nick Cicero from Expian, and great guests from the world of social media and content marketing. Social Pros is sponsored by Exact Target, a Salesforce.com company, Expian, Janray, powering personalized marketing with customer profile management, and Cision. Ready to learn from the pros? Let's get to work. Welcome back to Social Pros, the podcast for real people doing real work in social media. As the announcer just told you, I am Jay Bear from Convince and Convert, joined as usual by my man. He is the legendary author of the book Audience and the vice president of something for Salesforce Marketing Cloud. It is Mr. Jeffrey K. Roars. Greetings. Vice president of the something. That's a new one, and I like that. <laughs> well, it, I, it provides I, a lot of leeway. It does. It's. Uh, I always forget exactly what your title is these days. Um, oh, as do I. It was, it was ever changing. <laughs> it was hard enough. It was hard enough. It is a miasma. It was hard enough when you went from Exact Target to Salesforce Marketing Cloud. I can't remember your title as well. There's only so much I can do here on the social. Well, as long as you get the name, you spell it right. It's uh, R-O-H-R-S for kids scoring at home. Uh, We are joined today uh, by a gentleman that I have wanted to have on the Social Pros podcast for quite some time. We finally uh, coordinated in the miasma. It is John Loomer from John Loomer Digital, L-O-O-M-E-R, if you're scoring at home. John, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Oh, man, it's an honor. Thanks so much, guys. Uh, it is our pleasure. It is definitely not an honor, but we appreciate you saying so. <laughs> it is. It is. For, for folks um, who, who somehow are not familiar with all things John Loomer, I will set it up and then let you run with it. Uh, John is, is perhaps the foremost expert on Facebook advertising uh, in this great land of ours. He's somebody that I lean on for advanced Facebook advertising know-how and and he has forgotten more than we all know in many cases about how the ins and the outs of the crazy and nettlesome world of Facebook advertising works. Uh, we are delighted to have you on the show, John. Uh, what else do you want to tell the folks at home about what you do? Oh man, I tell you, it's it's been a crazy journey. Um, so yeah, I mean, Facebook ads that that is my niche. That's what I focus on, and uh, I kind of started this whole thing about three years ago, having no idea where I wanted to go. And um, I used Facebook ads a little bit back then, but it's really been to build my own business more than anything. Um, I had to get to know the ins and outs of Facebook ads, so I started writing about it more and more. And uh, now here we are, and it's, it's, it's been a lot of fun. Now, you have uh, a background in marketing, in, in digital marketing. So before you became uh, a consultant and, and a, a practitioner of all things Facebook, you actually worked on, on the brand side. Uh, you were very, very early on uh, the NBA's digital efforts. And in yeah. fact, you probably know our guest from last week on the show, Jerry McPeak from the Phoenix Suns. I don't, but I saw that. Uh, episode. I thought that was really cool. Um, so yeah, I was there at the very, very beginning of social for the NBA, and so I was, I was, I was on the league side. So yeah, he was yeah he was just, on the team side, sure. So um, I actually know the guy who works with the teams, but that's you know yeah here and there. Absolutely. But anyway, so when I was there, and we're talking, God, it's, it's, we're we're getting long ago now. So it's 2005 through 2008, uh, end of 2005 through to the season of 2008. And uh, so when I got there, there was no social at all. I, I'm talking no comments uh, on on articles, no forums, nothing. And I mean, I don't I don't know how much I should say, but they they were scared of what people would write about the commissioner and owners and all that kind of stuff. So the, none of that was existed. Um, but I was overseeing fantasy games, which is some new fun experimental thing, new position. And as such, I was like, I need forums. I need a community. And so I was part of this initial um, pilot of, of community uh, on NBA.com, and it didn't go too crazy. So they, they, they started branching off to, to blog posts and everything else, and now they're like this big social juggernaut. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, I think you, you'd said somewhere, I read somewhere that you – uh, started as an admin in the NBA Facebook group before there even were Facebook pages. I mean, some of the folks who listen to Social Pros will remember those days that you know you didn't. We didn't used to have brand pages. It wasn't even an option, um, and and it was only only groups back in the day. So you have yeah. uh, you have seen some changes. 
Yeah, it's, it's crazy. So, um, yeah, I was overseeing fancy games, so I included everything from sitting down with the developers and saying, let's build this, to overseeing content and marketing and everything else. Um, but, yeah, along the way, uh, it was 2007 where someone else thought it was the brilliant idea of partnering with this company called the Facebook. I had no idea what she was talking about. Um, but I was thrown into that mix to, to build an app. Um, back before you could build your own app, you had to partner with Facebook to build an app. So we repurposed their March Madness app, which was great for their college kids. They were just now moving into to the old folks. And uh, so I was part of that. And in order to um, kind of promote this thing, we created this group. And I was the first admin of that group. And, yeah, that's so long ago. Yet you couldn't build your own apps. You, there was no Facebook pages. We were in there frantically deleting comments and stuff. People were saying, <laughs> saying bad things about the commissioner. It was nuts. It was a completely different world. It's crazy. Well, nobody is a beloved commissioner like David Stern. He's such a, a warm and, and caring individual. <laughs> uh, That's right. And you went from there and spent a couple of years doing marketing for the American Cancer Society. Right. So um, my, my first job after the – I left on my, my own free will – only because we had to live in New Jersey to do it. It was an amazing job working for the NBA, but we moved back to Colorado. I worked for a startup fantasy games develop, develop, uh, developer for about six months, got laid off, and then ended up doing some consulting and whatnot. And then this, this job came up with American Cancer Society, which was near and dear to me because our oldest son is a cancer survivor. So um, that's something I, I really wanted to do, as a, I had a passion for. So I, I did that. As, I was VP of strategic marketing for two and a half years. That led into horrible economic times and layoffs everywhere. I ended up getting laid off, which ended up being one of the best things for me. Yeah, and, and here you are. And it's interesting, I think, that so many of the things that we talk about on the Social Pros program are the shift from organic to paid. And, and I think you've gone through a similar shift, right? That you started off writing about Facebook organic best practices and, and how to maximize mm -hmm. your audience and your community in, in Facebook with organic techniques. But then as we sort of gone through reach apocalypse um, and, and at the same time that reach apocalypse happened uh, in fairness to Facebook, that their advertising options and what they allow you to do with advertising has gotten a lot better as well. So can you talk about that sort of transformation or uh, transition between sort of the organic and, and paid side? Sure. I mean, look, organic's still important, but um, you know, going back to when I first started my page um, three years ago, actually, it's very close to three years ago when I started the page. Um, it, it was the early days where there weren't that many brands on Facebook. Um, there were far fewer users on Facebook. So you publish a post, and um, of those online, they were more likely to see it. Now, keep in mind, there was never a time where 100% of your fans were seeing your posts. Anyone who thinks that's true, is they're, they're, I don't know where their head's at. But half of your fans or so, maybe it's a little bit more these days, are actually on Facebook every day. And not only that, but were they on when you posted? Were they in, on during this certain hour, two, three-hour window after you posted? Um, so you've, you're never reaching everybody. Now, every brand and their moms are, are on Facebook, and, there's, and people, there are more people than ever there as well, and there's just more and more content to compete with. So, edge rank algorithm aside, forget that. doesn't even matter. You're going to have a hard time reaching people. That tweet that you put out on Twitter, how many of your followers saw, followers saw that? Probably a very, very small percentage. Probably smaller. Yeah, I can tell you. I just I just looked it up. I just looked it up myself. So it's just like it's really small. Like on Twitter, I just did a little analysis. I've got 136,000 followers. Uh, I just looked at yesterday's tweets, and they average between two and and five thousand. And even then, um, I don't know which tool you're using for that, but isn't that more about who was active on Twitter at the time, right? Right. It doesn't necessarily mean they clicked. It just means they potentially saw it. And they didn't necessarily see it because it, I don't know if they also count um, that they were they had an automation tweet going at the time as well to to show that they were active. I mean, the thing with Facebook is they tell you that they were actually scanning the news feed at the time that you posted, right? Yeah. So yeah. Um, and, and so this is a, a metric reach that you never see anywhere else. 
So people obsessed over it. So when it was really, really high, no one complained. And then as it kept dropping and dropping and dropping, everybody's like, whoa, what's Facebook doing to me? In reality, good luck on your other channels reaching more than that organically. But that aside, yeah, Facebook's gotten crazy powerful in terms of the things that you can do with ads. So um, I, I, it's still important for me to post organically. I still do. And I actually get quite a bit of, like I'll get 1,000 link clicks on a post organically. So I would say that's still pretty darn valuable. But the this, this stuff you can do with ads and the, the targeting you can do, it's just opened up so many opportunities for brands. One of the things that people are starting to do now, partially because of your counsel, is is using Facebook ads, uh, dark posts, things like that, which we'll talk about in more depth in a minute, uh, using Facebook ads to test particular pieces of content. And then if they seem to be effective, then go ahead around and, and post them organically. Yeah, no, absolutely. You can take that approach. Um, I'm usually one of those people who will, t- uh, first of all, publish something organically, promote it, um, I might then create variations to to target you know different different segments and and try things out that way as well. I know a lot of people they'll they'll focus more on the um, unpublished side first, so they will um, split test in that way. Say so, you know which copy which imagery works best. And then actually, uh, if you did it as an unpublished post, not an inline post, you can then publish it. And then crazily enough, when you publish it, it already has all this engagement on it because it was previously an ad. Yeah, so then it looks like it's like, wow, this must be amazing if all these people have clicked on it or, or shared it, et cetera. Yeah. Right. Yep. Let's talk about that a little bit just because I assume that many people who listen to the show have experience with it, but I want to make sure that everybody understands where we're coming from here. Do you want to talk a little bit about the notion of, of dark posts and unpublished um, ads just so people are, are clear on the difference there? Sure. So when you publish something to your Facebook page, like a status update, sharing a link or whatever, um, you're doing it directly through your Facebook page. That's clearly a published post. You could then boost it, which I wouldn't recommend, or you can promote it through Power Editor or the this, this self-serve ad tool. So that's the act of promoting a published post. Um, now, when you're creating an ad, you have two other options as well. First of all, you have the inline page post ad. So what that is, it's essentially an unpublished post. It will not live on your newsfeed. Okay, it's only ad, it only exists as an ad. Um, you can't ultimately publish that inline page post ad, but there's lots of power in that, in that you can actually you can edit it after it's been running. You can easily duplicate it and create variations of it. So there, there are lots of bonuses to this new inline page post ad. It's actually, if you might not be aware, it's 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 within the last couple of months that this has come out. Um, the dark or unpublished post as we know it is essentially identical to what you would have done when you were publishing it to Facebook. It's just it does not exist on your Facebook page. It only exists as an ad. Now, you, you have less control over that. You can't edit it um, and, and, and all, all that. But you, the, the nice thing about it is if, like we were talking just now, if it's doing well, you can go ahead, just if it's doing well as an ad, you can go ahead and publish it to the world. Hopefully that makes sense. I know it's complicated. Yeah, it makes it, it. I think that's a great explanation. I appreciate it. Um, you you talked about the the power editor, and I know a number of people who listen to Social Pros uh, are familiar with the hey, click here to boost your post and drop in thirty bucks or a hundred bucks or two hundred bucks or five hundred bucks or, or whatever the the number is based on the number of people you want to reach and, and the size of your page. Uh, but you're on record as saying that you don't think people should be clicking that boost button, but should instead go into the Facebook power editor and do it what some would consider to be the hard way, at least in terms of number of process steps. Uh, but but you believe that the power editor is, the, is a better way to promote that content, yeah? Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, the boost is the easy button. And I kind of see it as the gateway drug to the real stuff um, in Facebook ads, like power editor. And, you know, it, it's... It's, I'm not saying you should never boost. Um, I do think it's lazy. It really, look, if, you've, if you've used Power Editor a few times or maybe a few hundred times, eventually it gets easy. You've got a process. Uh, when, when I have scheduled a post on, on Facebook, meaning I've just published my new blog post, I'm going to share it at a particular time the next morning, I then go into Power Editor to promote it. It takes me no more than, I'd say, two minutes go through that process and make sure 
because okay, so this is how I set it up. I've got a campaign and I've got two ad sets within it. One ad set is targeting targeting my fans. One ad set is targeting my website visitors during the last 30 days. That's it. It's really very simple. And in the ads, all the ads are is promoting the posts that I'd already scheduled on Facebook. So the the main main thing here is you have more control over who is seeing your ad. When you're doing the boosted posts, it's always like this: um, you, your fans and their friends, or there are specific um, additional targeting that you can do. But I want more control. So yes, I want my fans. I want my website visitors, two separate ad sets. But the other thing I want to do is I want to exclude anyone who already read that blog post. And I do that with the use of a website custom audience because I've already created a website custom audience of anyone who's read that post. There's no reason to spend money reaching them again. So it's just a matter of having more control and having that routine. So do you do that uh, every for every post, every post you create? You write on your website, you create a custom audience, uh, essentially a retargeting uh, pool of people who have read the post, and then you promote that post in the Power Editor, both to your existing Facebook fans and people who have been to your site in the past but haven't read that post yet. Absolutely. That's my routine. Every single new blog post, I do that. And what kind of, what kind of budget do you put against each of those posts? So I, uh, on average, uh, well, I start out with $10 per ad set per day. So if I am going at, um, uh, like right now, I'm, I'm publishing about once a week, and I, I need to get back in a routine of publishing more often than that. But it's once per week, so I run that ad for basically six or seven days um, until I'm going to promote the next one. I don't want to have two concurrent blog posts being promoted at the same time. Now, when I start with that $10 per day per ad set, so $20 per day, I then monitor it, and I see how it does. If I'm getting a, a cost per website click, in the neighborhood of 10 to maybe 15 cents or even less, I will up my budget. Um, but also I monitor it to see, you know, my fans performing better than my, my website visitors. Is there one I need to stop or slow down? So um, during that week, I will either, I, I, might, I might either escalate it, I might stop the advertising altogether because it's just like maybe it wasn't interesting and I'm getting like 25 cents per website click and I, I feel like I'm throwing my money away on it and I'll just stop it. So um, I, but so I always have this routine. I go out with that ten dollars per day per ad set. Yep. And I go from there. So you're buying those ads on a on a per impression basis, not a per click basis, since you have a variable click uh, results. Absolutely. So when you use optimized CPM, which the kind of that terminology is going away, but you're optimizing for the impression. Facebook is showing it to people most likely to perform your desired action. I want a website click. I don't want a standard click, and that's what you're doing with cost per click is you're optimizing for a click, any click. So that's clicking on a photo, it could be clicking on your profile, it could be clicking to comment, all that stuff. I want to drive traffic to my website. So I need to optimize for the website click. Hey John, uh, Jeff here. I'm uh, interested in digging in on this topic from a different angle and that is using your Facebook ads to drive audience development in other channels, uh, particularly email. Can you talk a little bit about your strategy there and recommendations to clients? In terms of building an email list? Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. So I actually have a blog post I was planning to write hopefully next week about how I, I basically just tripled my um, opt-in rate over the last week. Um, but part of that is just having um, the right systems on your website, right? So make sure you have a good lead, lead magnet on your site. Um, but and having the, the widgets and the pop-ups and whatever you got to do. But I'm also using Facebook and Facebook ads to build that email list. So I have a webinar. By the time people hear this, um, that webinar would have already happened. But uh, for me, it's, it's about, about to happen. And I've created a cover photo that, that's promoting it um, with a link that, that is driving people to the landing page. Um, I've created organic posts letting people know and that, um, you know, when it's going to be and reminders and, and to drive them back to that landing page. Also got ads driving people to that webinar. And again, um, even though I experimented with people outside of my main audience of fans and website visitors, I always come back to those two groups of being most effective. I get 50 cents to a dollar per email address driving people to those opt-ins. Um, so whether it's a webinar or something of value, it can't just be Hey, join my newsletter. That's boring. It's got you know something of value. So I use the webinar. Another one I had recently was a free ebook. 
and before that, I had a, a PDF of my um, of, of the dimensions of Facebook uh, marketing dimensions, image dimensions, um, whatever it is that's relevant to you and is valuable to your audience. It's a lot of the same strategies you use on your website. You just apply them to Facebook. Now, as you build that email uh, audience, um, are you leveraging them within the uh, custom audiences uh, targeting as well within Facebook? And maybe if you are, can you explain that to our listeners? You know, I do. Um, the main thing, though, and, and I've found, uh, like when I do my targeting, I'll go after my email list. But the most valuable people in that email list are those people who have visited my website recently, right? So they might join my email list, and they drop off, and they disappear. So I usually still focus... Um, uh, on, on the website visitor portion of that. That said, I've got, and I, I use this little plug for this tool, but it's called uh, Drift, Drift Rock Flow, which is a really good tool because it, it, it not only can you upload your email list to create a custom audience, but it updates it dynamically, which is like the big weakness in custom audiences otherwise, is you have to go in and update it all the time. So one, one way in particular I use that is for exclusion purposes. So I'm, I'm promoting my um, uh, webinar, for example, and I want to exclude people who have already opted in. So with that tool, I exclude that um, custom audience of people who opted in to any of the three times. And it's updated dynamically so I can make sure that I'm not wasting my money on those people. So that's one way I use my email list. But another way you can use it is with um, lookalike audiences, too. So I segment my custom audience yeah. list to make sure that I've got um, not only my full email list, but people who are paying customers. And I'll create a lookalike audience off of that paying customers email list. Gotcha. So you've got you, groups people. email yeah. subscribers, and then you then further are, are defining that as folks who have paid you in some fashion, and that's what you're basing lookalikes off of. Absolutely, absolutely. And look, there's definitely ways you should be using custom audiences as well, especially when it comes to upgrades. So it's not something I've had to do recently with my products, but let's say if you have a product that has been upgraded recently, you've got 1.0, uh, widget 1.0, you've got this email list of all these people who bought it. Well, what are you going to do when 2.0 comes out? You're first of all going to send out an email. Well, you should also create a Facebook ad targeting those people who bought 1.0 driving them to that landing page to buy the new new version because they obviously love 1.0 they can upgrade so that's that's one of the creative ways that you can use custom audiences and how how effective and responsive have you found lookalike audiences uh, relative to other uh, type of uh, targeting it's good so this is this is how I define and help people understand what lookalike audiences are so um, in, in the old days like a couple years ago uh, you sit down and decide who should I target, whom should I target, and you write down all these interests and think about the ages and gender and countries and all that kind of stuff. What lookalike audiences do is they automate that process for you. So they look at, okay, who are your fans? They look at who are your website visitors or whatever it is this custom audience you want to you want to start as your foundation, and they find the similarities between those people to find an audience like them. So in reality, I think a lot of times when we sit down and pick out all these interests and things like that, we're just guessing. And a lot of times we're probably wrong. And Facebook's actually looking at the data to automate that for us. So I think it is effective. Now, it's still down my list of preferences because I think it's good for, for lightweight um, actions. So I'm looking for people to like my page uh, who, who are relevant. That's not a bad place to go. I'm looking to drive website traffic to this new blog post that I've, I've found is popular, that's a good place to target. Now, if I'm trying to sell something, if I'm trying to get opt-ins to, to, to my webinar, to whatever it is, the lookalikes uh, usually not where I'm, I'm going to go to focus my money on. Gotcha. Does, does your strategy vary from desktop Facebook user to mobile app user? I just saw a stat that Facebook... Uh, accounts for about 20% of mobile advertising right now, um, and obviously they've really honed that product. But uh, is there is there any different sort of approach uh, when you're thinking about the mobile Facebook audience as opposed to the desktop? That's a really good question. So first of all, things have changed pretty dramatically over about a year. If you had asked me a year ago what I think about mobile, I'd say, well, you know, yeah, it's getting lots of clicks, but it's freaking expensive. Um, but over the last year, that's changed a ton. 
so now, and it's not just me, I, I've looked at a lot of the, the public uh, records and um, a, lot, a lot of my own one-on-one -on -one clients looking at their, their results. Um, over and over again, what we're seeing is desktop news feed is now more expensive to reach people than mobile news feed. And a big reason for that, my theory, but I think it's probably pretty obvious this is true, um, and this was re revealed in uh, Facebook's uh, recent, recent um, uh, investor call, is that more and more people are moving away from desktop to mobile. So what happens when that, when that happens? You've got less inventory on the desktop news feed. You've got more inventory on the mo mobile news feed than you used to have. But advertisers are acting the same, and they're, they love the desktop news feed. So competition is fierce right now on the desktop news feed, so prices are going up. And we're getting more inventory on mobile news feed, so prices are going down. So, so that's the first thing. But the second thing is, yeah, it, it matters in, the ma in terms of um, what you're sending them to. If, are you sending them to something that um, is mobile compatible? Are, are you sending them to something where, even if it is, are they going to provide a, a credit card number and a whole bunch of information? Is it a difficult process on a mobile device? So these are all things to consider and to think about when you're creating your ads. Let's dig in there a little bit further because I've been personally frustrated with, um, uh, and, I, and I, don't know, I don't know if it's strictly in a Facebook environment. I think it's also been when I've hit, uh, you know, been surfing to websites on a mobile device, particularly a smartphone. Um, just the the different ways that um, uh, the click through will work or the pop up will work, um, or you know, one of the things that's been probably most annoying is the. Um, you didn't even know uh, you were clicking or the site was going to generate a, um, uh, the app store to pop up and it's taking you to an app to download. Um, are there things to be thinking about uh, as advertisers in the mobile Facebook environment, which are clear do's and don'ts in terms of how you should be directing people to uh, you know, uh, your, your capture form, your website, whatever that call to action. And, mechanism is that you're you're actually trying to drive traffic to? I mean, first of all, I just try to keep it as simple as possible. I mean, if you're sending them to something where you're attempting to get an opt-in, um, first of all, don't send them to one of those huge squeeze, page, squeeze pages that you have to scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll even more from a mobile device. Make it really simple. Um, have the, the, the uh, opt-in form front and center. If possible, Ask for only email address. I know that's not always possible. It's, I mean, I've got one right now where I can't do that. But just you know, go through that process as a user, too, and ask yourself, is this something I'd be willing to do? Um, but, yeah, you don't want pop-ups and all that stuff. Now, some, something that's, that's, that Facebook is working on um, that can help improve the mobile experience overall is app links, which is going to help the process of linking to other apps um, within that experience. So you're not taking them out of, of the current experience to take them to, to an app, for example. So maybe my last uh, question for you is uh, a wish list. What is your wish list of two or three things that you hope happen in terms of innovation around Facebook advertising uh, in the coming year? Oh, my goodness. Um, I, I got to think about that one. I mean, look, I... There, is, there anything so many, that's, is there anything that's a pee under the mattress that really is <laughs> irritating you? Because that's usually one of the top things that will rise to the surface. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think the, the one thing for me is, um, you know, it's just const the constant updates just to keep up with but and, and some of the bugs I have to deal with personally. But um, I know one thing that they're working on is business manager, and I, I think they're going to migrate everyone over to business manager, and I worry about that migration. I don't know if you're familiar with business managers. It's a way, particularly uh, for agencies, to um, aggregate all of their advertising in one place. It's supposed to make it easier. Um, but I'm hoping, wishing and hoping for that to be as easy as possible. Now, so that, I guess that's the first thing, and I guess the biggest concern. Second is a lot of this amazing targeting that we can do is only available within the U.S. And so... so First of all, for my international advertisers, I would like to have them have that ability to target based on things like the amount of money someone makes, the kind of car they drive, the, the purchases, purchases, 
they make and, and things like that. But not only that, I would like to target people in Australia based on the same types of data that I can't currently. So I think uh, that would probably be my, my biggest request um, regarding, regarding uh, Facebook ads. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one on the international side, sir. Yeah, that's a good one on the international side. Uh, absolutely. Uh, what do you think, John? Is the is the biggest mistake that most business people are doing with regards to to Facebook ads? Where where are they? If you had to pick one sort of lesson that that they are not heeding, what would it be? Yeah, I think they're focusing on the wrong data. So, um, you you should simplify. Keep it really really simple. What is the action you are looking for? How much do they cost to get that action? So instead, what we're seeing people do is they're overwhelmed by the data, and they're looking at what is my click-through rate? What is my cost per click? And I'm saying cost per the, the CPC, not the cost per website click. What is my cost per click? And they're focusing on those things instead of what ultimately matters. So what, what is your cost per sale? What is your cost per registration? What is your cost per website click? And um, in, in the meantime, what happens is they will often stop ads that are working, and ignore ads that actually are working. Um, or, the, the, actually, or the other way around. Or, or think that an ad is working when it's not, right? You might have a high click-through rate, but it's not doing anything. They get to, that, to, the, to the landing page, and they're not following through. So um, I think that's the biggest mistake that I see from advertisers. One of the questions that we touch on a lot here on the Social Pros podcast is roles and responsibilities in big company social media departments. There's been a lot of conversations in the last year on this show as Facebook advertising and sort of paid social has become such a big part of the overall social ecosystem uh, about who should be managing the ad programs. Should it be the people who are formerly community managers? Should it be your digital agency? Should it be your ad agency? Should it be a media buying agency? Who do you think has the best skill set to be doing the kind of things that you're recommending people do? Wow, that's, that's really a good question. I think it ultimately... Um, should be someone who not only knows what they're doing, like an agency, but it definitely helps to be someone who's internal because these are also the people who are going to be crafting the messaging, who will be um, gathering the, the imagery that they're going to use that will uh, be targeting. And, and it's, it's really helpful to know who your target audience is. And otherwise, you're going into it kind of blindly and you have to be educated by um, the, the company you're working for. But I just know for me personally, when I used to, to take on clients, I just found it much more difficult to strike that chord. Like I, didn't, I don't know their audience and their product the way that they do. So um, I, I know agencies are probably mad at me for saying that because I'm sure I know there are lots of agencies who are great at it. Okay, But um, I think the best case scenario is it's internal, not necessarily a community manager, but someone who knows what they're doing with ads who's internal. And on a related question, you, you mentioned one of the tools that you use to keep your custom audiences pool updated in real time, which is really slick. How, how do you feel about uh, software assisted paid social in general, uh, PMDs, whether it's, um, I mean, in fact, Jeff's, Jeff's company has a couple of tools that, that, uh, allow you to do that as do many of our other sponsors and listeners and things like that. How do you feel about using third party software to, uh, increase the results of what you're doing in Facebook and other parts of paid social, I presume, not just Facebook. I think it's great. I mean, uh, whatever it takes to look, if you're getting into, uh, larger scale of things, um, creating a lot more ads or you're, cr you're creating a lot of content, managing content for a lot of people. I mean, I know even, even with my Facebook page, it's really hard for me to manage the notifications and um, the, the, me the direct messages I get, um, the comments I get on things. Facebook by itself doesn't do a very good job of, of helping me manage that process. So having a third party to do that, I think is great. Now, another third-party tools that come out with Facebook ads. Um, if look, I, I love Power Editor. I think it's much better than using um, the main ads interface. But there are some great third-party tools out there that, help, that kind of help extend that um, to give you access to even more. And like those PMDs, they have access to some things that are not within 
um, the main, the, they're in the ads API, but they're not within Power Editor in the main ads interface. So I love it. I mean, the, the more options, the better, and especially for the, the bigger advertisers out there. Now, certainly we're talking a lot about Facebook ads, and that's kind of your uh, area of focus. Have you taken some of the similar principles that you have refined for Facebook ads and applied them to uh, Twitter ads or LinkedIn ads, which which in many ways um, function somewhat similarly? Have you kind of tested these same practices there, or, or are you sort of heads down in the Facebook uh, world? I have tested it, but I'll say I think it's dangerous to take the same approach. And I see the same thing every day from people who talk to me about you know, their, their experiences on Facebook ads who are coming from um, Google Ads world and trying to apply it to Facebook. It doesn't work. It's not the same thing. And so um, when I jump into Twitter ads and I have less success, I'm not going to blame Twitter. Um, I just need to understand how it works because it definitely works differently. So I've experimented with Twitter and, um, and, and a little bit of LinkedIn. But with Twitter ads, I mean, what I found was like a high number of clicks, good number of clicks, but they were worthless clicks to me. Like they were there for only a few seconds. So it wasn't worthwhile for me to be spending my money. Uh, but I, I know that there are people who have had great success with Twitter ads. Um, I just have to... You know, it, it, for me, I think it's really, really tough to have um, expertise in, in all these areas. Um, I like to focus most, the vast majority of my time and my budget getting one thing right really, really well. And that's, that's Facebook ads. Fantastic. We'll be back uh, with more from John Loomer from John Loomer Digital in just a second. First, I want to remind the folks at home that this podcast, this podcast that you are listening to right now, Social Pros, is brought to you by the good people at Exact Target, now known as Salesforce Marketing Cloud, a world leader in interactive marketing software, powering the email, mobile, social, web, all kinds of things for all kinds of people, including uh, Facebook advertising. Our friends at Salesforce Marketing Cloud have a new free download that you should take advantage of. It's called Eight Steps to Transformative Social Customer Service. On this show and elsewhere in the web, we talk a lot about the implications of social media on customer service. It's not easy to do it right. In an era where every customer is a reporter and customer service is a spectator sport, you need to make sure you are doing it right. Uh, This free download, Eight Steps to Transformative Social Customer Service, will make sure that you are headed in the right direction. And you should download that now from our friends at Salesforce Marketing Cloud. You can get it at bit.ly slash transform service. That's bit.ly slash transform service. Also excited to remind you uh, that on November 11th, I, Jay Bear, will be doing a webinar with our good friends from Xbeon. Uh, it is called Strategies for Cross-Channel Measurement. Going to talk all about how to compare and contrast your social media results across multiple platforms, across Twitter, across Facebook, across LinkedIn. Use some of the things that John's talked about here today. You're going to learn a lot. Uh, it's, a, it's a challenge for a lot of companies is how to measure efficacy across different channels. We're going to go deep on that. We're going to nerd out uh, myself and uh, Albert, who's the CIO at XPR, and are going to give you the truth. That is on November 11th. You should RSVP for that. I really want you to do that. I want you to join me, even if you can't make it live, RSVP now, so you can get the recording. And you can do so at bit.ly slash think analytics. That's bit.ly slash think analytics, all lower case. Okay, Jeff, uh, it is time for the social media number of the week cool so uh, the number this week is eighty dollars and fifty four cents and that is the average order value for a pinterest conversion uh compared to uh seventy one dollars and twenty six cents for a facebook conversion and this comes from a um, aggregate uh report really a blog post that uh, the good folks at we are social uh, just uh, sent out about Pinterest. Uh, it's a great read. We'll uh, link to it in the notes. Um, really providing an overview of the channel, where it sits right now, how it's differentiated from other channels. Um, but I, I thought that was really in, uh, an intriguing number that um, Pinterest continues to kind of hold that average order uh, lead in first position over Facebook, which is in second, Twitter, which uh, is in third by a nose at $70.17. For average order value, and then stumble upon at 49.78, and LinkedIn at 38.42. Hmm. So um, 
Jay, wanted to get your thoughts on that, on the evolution of uh, Pinterest. Uh, we've been talking a lot about Facebook here, but what do you see happening uh, with your clients and uh, your machinations with the lovely visual social network that is the Pinterest? Same, same, right? People go there to 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 wish list, right? And and so uh, it doesn't surprise me. It's becoming the social network that powers e-commerce. Uh, I'm very, very bullish on on Pinterest. We've seen a lot of success with it uh, for our customers. That, that number does not surprise me at all. Uh, I mean, here's the thing. If you're on Facebook, um, there's a lot of other reasons that you could be on Facebook. It's so big. It's so diffuse, um, which is one of the reasons why it's effective as an ad platform. Uh, there's not as many reasons why you're on Pinterest, right? You're on Pinterest either because you're collecting things that you own or you're collecting things that you want to own. That's a pretty powerful consumer psychology and it's not replicated anywhere else. StumbleUpon doesn't work like that. Twitter doesn't work like that. Nothing works like that other than your Amazon wish list. So uh, it, it doesn't surprise me. And there's a lot of companies out there who you think, oh, you know, uh, you know, if you're a potato chip company, well, why would you have a Pinterest program if you're a potato chip company? It's such a commodity. Well, there's a lot of things you can do there with recipes and, hey, this potato chip looks like, you know, the Virgin Mary or whatever. There's a lot of cool things you can do uh, on Pinterest outside uh, outside the obvious. I think it's got tons of potential. Uh, and I think we're actually just scratching the surface when they when they really they've, they've, they've dipped their toe into the ad platform. But when they really get the ad platform to a, the next level of maturity, uh, mm-hmm. I think it's going to absolutely blow up and, and move from what is now sort of the second tier, quote unquote, social networks for most businesses to a real contender for a lot of budget and attention. So interesting question for you, then. Facebook has, you know, uh, made a nice business model out of quickly emulating new social networks uh, that, you know, kind of come out of the uh, out of nowhere, um, gain an uh, audience. And, and then Facebook comes up with kind of its uh, equivalent. Uh, why hasn't Facebook done that with uh, a Pinterest? I don't know. I would. I, I'm going to posit two guesses. One is that the Pinterest interface is such a different animal from the current Facebook interface that to that to mimic the look and feel or the style would be very difficult. Although certainly Facebook has gotten enormously more visual in the last 18 months in sort of the, the Pinterest era. Photos have gotten a lot bigger, uh, et cetera. So I think they've done some mimicry in that regard. Uh, I think the other issue is that Facebook has had a fairly negative experience recently with F-commerce. You remember they were pretty bullish on F-commerce and even Facebook coins, right? Their own monetization mm-hmm. scheme. Uh, they have stubbed their toe. If there's one area where Facebook has not been very successful, it's in commerce. And, and so they may be just, you know, biding their time a little bit uh, before they get back into it, because I suspect they've got their tail between their legs a little bit in in that area. John, do you have any uh, any thoughts on that as well? Yeah, no, I think, um, you know, first of all, they do have Instagram as well. And, and uh, I don't know if it would make sense to do something like a Pinterest in addition to to Instagram. But um, I mean, first of all, in, in your, your, your first point about uh, uh, driving revenue, yeah, I agree. It makes total sense that Pinterest does so well in that area. We talk about buying intent, right? Uh, that's why Google ads would always work to drive revenue because people had buying intent. And with Facebook ads, you always had to take a slightly different approach because that's not necessarily what's happening there. Well, with Pinterest, people are specifically looking for products and, you know, collecting them and sharing them and that stuff. So it works. Now, in terms of Facebook getting involved, you know, who knows? You'd have to ask Facebook on that. Um, but uh, I, I agree that Facebook is still taking a similar approach. And they, they've learned something, though, from Pinterest and, and getting more visual, like Jay, Jay is saying. I mean... Bigger and bigger images. Actually, they had another news feed that was supposed to come out with even bigger images that never really happened. But uh, look, Facebook can do whatever they want, I guess, right? And it includes making a lot of mistakes along the way. Well, we'll have to uh, continue to watch this and uh, and see if they do come up with a spinoff. But uh, Jay, you raise an interesting point. I'd almost completely forgotten about uh, kind of the Facebook commerce thing and the... Uh, the the uh, the credits that were being sold and the gift cards the Facebook gift cards being sold at my local retailer uh, a couple of years ago so yeah they they had a whole a whole thing there for a while and, and you know it's not dead there's no doubt about it they nope. still are looking at that it's just it's just temporarily dormant um, they're they're it, definitely it's, playing the long game yeah to be clear they are getting involved in a payment system it's not going to be their own play, payment system though they're going to integrate with uh, whether it's Stripe or PayPal or what one of their partners, but this is this is gonna be big. Um, 
So right now what happens if you want to buy a product for an ad that you see on Facebook, you're driven to their landing page, uh, to the landing page for that, that person's website, that company's website. In the future, um, you can be actually, there actually is this buy button that's being tested on a very small scale right now where that purchase happens entirely within Facebook. So no taking them out, taking them away from Facebook, um, and it's just a much easier process, much more streamlined. Are people going to trust that process to buy basically from Facebook? And we'll see, but I think that could be the big thing coming. Yeah, and Twitter's testing the buy button uh, as well simultaneously, which is pretty interesting. Uh, let me remind everybody that this podcast, Social Pros, is also brought to you by the good people at Formstack. Love these guys. Uh, it's what I use to create forms. The easiest and best form-making tool out there allows you to test forms really easily, even if you're not an IT guy. Uh, just marketers like me can go in there and do all kinds of cool stuff. They have a really great new research report that is right in the wheelhouse of people listening to this show. It's called Google Analytics Usage and Best Practices for Marketers. Um, Formstack went really deep and took a look at all kinds of best practices for improving your own Google Analytics understanding and tying Google Analytics back to your marketing, your conversion rate on your landing pages, your marketing campaigns, like your Facebook ads, other forms of social media, really great stuff. You need to read this. It's at bit.ly slash GA report. That's bit.ly slash GA report, capital G, capital A, lowercase report. That's from our friends at formstack.com. And the show is brought to you by Cision, the leading provider of software services and tools to the PR industry. Cision has a terrific free download all about content amplification. A lot of us are involved in content creation, but if nobody sees it, kind of, hey, what's the point? Certainly you could use Facebook ads to amplify your content. That's one of the recommendations that they have in this free guide called Six Tips to Help Amplify Your Content. A bunch of other ideas there as well, not just Facebook ads, but some other things maybe you haven't thought of. You should download it. Hey, it's free. It's from Cision, great guys at Cision.com. You can get it right now at bit.ly slash Amplify Cision. That's bit.ly slash Amplify Cision. That's all lowercase, and Cision is C-I-S-I-O-N. And thanks, as always, to Cision.com for sponsoring Social Pros. Okay, John, last two big questions for you. Are you ready? Uh, I hope so. <laughs> don't, don't sound so confident. <laughs> okay. First question uh, for John Loomer of John Loomer Digital. What one piece of advice would you give someone looking to become a social pro? A social pro. Look at whatever your content, product, services are from the perspective of your customer or a user. So before you share it, before you promote it, before you create that ad, would you interact with it yourself? I love it. We, we call that at Convince to Convert the Mom Test. Uh, if, if your mom who loves you unconditionally, or at least theoretically loves you unconditionally, if your mom would not buy this or click on it, why would you expect somebody who doesn't love you unconditionally to do that? Uh, that is very good advice. Very good advice. Yeah, I, I get a lot of people who say, I ran these Facebook ads and they don't work. Well, all you did was try to sell your crap. That's all you did. And you know, that, that's not going to work. Yeah. Maybe your thing isn't good enough. Uh, right. and the last question for John Loomer is if you could do a Skype call, with oh, any God. with any living person, who would it be and why? Any living person, Skype call. My goodness, you're killing me here. It's gonna be somebody um, from somebody from the Milwaukee Brewers, right? I know that's your <laughs> I know that's your squad. <laughs> I was thinking Robin Yount. Yeah. Oh, dude, that's a great answer. Robin Yount is a great answer. I love it. Yeah, look, that that's my childhood right there. And um, you know, growing up, 1982. I don't want to age myself, but that's when the Brewers went to the World Series. And oh, that was so long ago. That's why I'm a huge baseball fan, which is or a huge Brewer fan, which is why I'm a huge baseball fan. Why I'm a huge stats nerd, which I think ultimately led to why I do what I do in a very weird way. Because that's why I work for the NBA, because I was a sports fan and stats nerd and all that kind of stuff. And it's probably why I love dealing with all the stats and everything of, of Facebook ads and Facebook marketing. So I would want to thank Robin Yount for leaving me here. Uh, that's a great answer. I love it. Uh, maybe next year for the Brew Crew, man. They're on their way back. They could be next year's uh, Royals. It's absolutely doable. I'm glad you're optimistic because I'm not so much. It's, hey, man, it's it's much more likely than it would have been five years ago. No question about that. Maybe. 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 
thanks so much to John. You were fantastic. We appreciate you having on, uh, you having the time to be on the show. John Loomer also has a very Mitch Hedberg kind of delivery. Delivery. If any of you, uh, <laughs> that is like the third or fourth time I've heard that. What is it's that? totally true. You have the same syncopation uh, in your voice, which is really unusual. He's got a very strange cadence, and uh, and you kind of have that too. It's uh, it's nice. It's distinctive. It's good for radio. All right. Well, thank you. You bet, Jeff. Thanks as always, Jeff. Who do we have on the show next week? Uh, I'm trying to think of something humorous, and I am I'm, I'm completely blanking as I'm. Is it Robin? Is it Robin Yount? Is it Robin Yount? It's not Robin Yount. It's not Robin Yount. It's not. Uh, it's not LeBron James. Uh, I will tell you who it is. Anderson Verajao. <laughs> it is yeah. not Anderson Verajao. It is in <laughs> fact uh, Matt Gentile. Matt's in charge of all social media for Century Twenty One Real Estate. So we're going to get into uh, real estate and social media, which is good timing because my new book, Utility for Real Estate, uh, launches will have launched by the time you hear this podcast. So Utility uh, for Real uh, Utility for Real Estate available now uh, on Amazon. Okay, check this sly. out. Thank you. Very check sly. this out. How much do you think you would pay for a book by me called Utility for Real Estate? What would you pay for that book? Five dollars. <laughs> it is two dollars and ninety nine cents. Holy smokes! Two dollars and ninety nine cents. What what kind of value is that? It is an incredible oh, value. Is... It is not just less than a cup of coffee. It is less than shitty coffee. Um, that that is that is how we're pricing utility for real estate because we want to get it out there uh, for everybody. And I want to make that sure. on the back of the is that a, an endorsement on the back of the book? It costs less than <laughs> shitty coffee. That's it. That's exactly it. Uh, yes, from uh, Juan Valdez has the uh, praise quote on the back. Uh, yeah, so two ninety nine. Get it at Amazon right now. You're seriously. It, and I'm not just saying this. Uh, it is the best thing I've ever written. It is better than the full length utility. It's better than our revolution. It's better than anything else I've ever written. Uh, and it's two dollars and ninety nine cents. Even if you're not in real estate, uh, you will learn a lot from it. And if you don't like it, I will gladly give you your three dollars back. That's. Me. I actually just saw someone on Twitter raving about that see? book. You see? Yeah. See how it works? That Twitter thing. There's a future there. Yeah. John, thanks so much. Jeff, thank you. We'll talk to you guys uh, next week. This has been Social Pros. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for listening to Social Pros, the show for real people doing real work in social media. Please tell your friends about the show. Subscribe via iTunes or Stitcher and view all episodes at socialpros.com. Until next week, thanks to Cision, Janray, XPN, and Exact Target, a Salesforce.com company.